This is the Alchemize Your Life podcast. On today's episode, we're diving deep into slavery, but the new kind of slavery. Whoa, whoa, babe. Yeah, <laughs> we can't talk about that. Well, we just did. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cian Kenshin. And I'm Stephanie J. And we're here to Alchemize Your Life. In this podcast, we show you how to apply the principles of spirituality, prosperity, and sexuality to create true and lasting transformations in your life and business. Join us at the Prism Institute of Quantum Alchemy as we explore the ancient, esoteric teachings of Buddhism, Tantra, Hermetics, and more. As we weave these primal energies together within ourselves, we repair the fractured consciousness of humanity itself. Join us in liberating the world and realizing that the gold is in you. So there's something that I just don't really understand about what's going on right now. What's that? It's this idea that like, you know, this the government is this benevolent being that is out <laughs> taking for, care of us for our best interest and worried about worried about all of our health yeah every and the, the collective good of everybody like i just it just blows my mind like have we not watched and i know these are fiction guys i know this is fiction but have you not watched the hunger games have you not read 1984? Have you not read like any dystopian future book ever? Brave New World, Animal Farm. Like. Yeah, like House of Cards, even Game of Thrones. Now, I know these are fiction. Do you know why they're fiction? Why are they fiction? Because people would go to jail if they weren't. Well, and I, good point. And it's also interesting to me that like these ideas had to come from somewhere. Right? Like we know the way that consciousness works is like new ideas don't just pop out of the ether. They're, they come from because they're already alive in humanity. They're already alive in the consciousness. So if one person's like, oh, I'm going to write a fiction book about this like really like horrendous global leader, that doesn't come out of thin air. Like that, that comes out of in through his consciousness because it has already existed in the collective. Mm -hmm. And we've seen time and time and time again, even in like proof of like, just read a history book. Like there's lots of real evidence that's not even fictional of governments saying that they're taking care of populations and saying that they're doing things for the betterment of humanity. And what they're actually doing and prioritizing is the complete and total opposite. And it literally blows my mind that we think that we are so audacious as to think that that wouldn't happen now. Yeah, well, I mean, their their ability to make people think that is only measured by their ability to control the information. I think it's the ability to control the information, but I also think they've got a pretty good foundation laid out to make that fear cycle work and to make that control of the information work, right? They've got a good foundation in line saying, like, setting up, you know, golden handcuffs, basically. Like uh, you, right? I was I was just going to ask, where are we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> Golden handcuffs. Golden handcuffs. Okay, so so this is this is almost like this is like a form of slavery. It's totally a form of slavery. Which in the last episode we kind of started bleeding into a little bit, but we wanted to have a whole episode to discuss what does it mean to be in the new age of slavery? Because like, okay, nobody's nobody's getting whipped, nobody's in chains. Yeah, this doesn't look like slavery, but. Are you free? Hmm. Do you feel free? Do 
do you make choices that are actually based on your own choices and desires? Or are you making choices that are based on either survival or supporting a narrative that they've told you you should want? And who is they? Well, I can tell you, like, from a personal experience, um, being on both sides of the equation, like, do you remember, like, just before we left that city we were born in, and... You know, I had like this five bedroom house, I had a Lexus, I had all of this uh, stuff. So much stuff. So much that stuff. That was an incredible amount of stuff. I thought I had a lot. Yeah. Like we literally had like a dumpster out front parked in front of the house that we were like filling up and people were coming like night and day picking stuff up. And that dumpster was not like a normal size dumpster. That was like a triple size dumpster. And that was after you'd already sold and given away everything you possibly could. And that fucker still got filled. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it was really interesting for me to get to the point where I could let go of all of that stuff. And it actually like in the end, I remember very clearly that it felt like I was owned by my stuff more than I owned my stuff because there were all these things that I wanted to do. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to start another business. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And yet I was born by the weight of like, I'd have to move all this. I'd have to get rid of all this. I have this relationship. I have this job. I have all of these financial commitments. I have all of this debt. I have all of these assets. Like, all of these things that I had like acquired throughout, you know, the first third of my life, arguably, maybe it's a quarter. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll find out in a, you know, a few decades. Maybe a tenth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe a tenth. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in acquiring all of this stuff, like, like this was the path of success. This was what I had been taught is, is what you're supposed to do. And I got really good at it as evidenced by the five bedroom house and the house full of it, just as I was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and all of those, like all these marks, you know, like what's in your driveway and what's in your bank account and, you know, do you throw good parties and like all this sort of like things that are artifacts that evidence your success in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do a really good job of saying, if you're worthy, you must have these things. You must have these ties that make you stuck in the system. But even, even before that, even when I'm talking about foundational, like you obviously rose out of that really quickly. But I mean, most people are, you're taught that like, in order to be able to survive, you have to own a house. Most people in the town we were from, you got to own a car, like that public transportation is just not sufficient otherwise. So there's all of these needs that are set up that force you to acquire debt mm. that literally are needed for survival. Like this isn't even about thriving and having the five bedroom house. This is just about like getting through the day to day. You need somewhere yeah. to live and you need a means of transportation to get to your job. And in you, you know, they're not providing in a good fashion either of those things, which means you have to go into debt in order to survive, which means if you're in debt, you're chained to your job. So this sounds familiar. Do you, do you have some experience in this? Like my, my side of the equation is obviously just one part of it, but it sounds like this is more pervasive and it's not simply, uh, I must be successful. So I'm going to 
indenture myself to this system, it, it goes deeper than that. Oh my gosh, so much deeper. So this is what we would call the slave complex, mm. the happy slave complex, pardon me. Oh, I like that. Where, yeah. where is that from? So actually coined by Frederick Douglass, who's an African-American social reformer from the 19th century. And I'm also quoting a post from the Standard Media in Kenya here. So we'll link this in the show notes below. Um, obviously, we want to give them credit. But the story that Frederick shares, and I want you guys just to take a minute to reflect on this. I once passed a colored woman at work on a plantation who was singing and whose general manners would have led me to set her down as the happiest of the gang. I said to her, your work seems pleasant to you. And she replied, no. Supposing she referred to something particularly disagreeable in her immediate occupation, I said to her, tell me then what part of your work is most pleasant? She answered with much emphasis, no part is pleasant. We are forced to do it. And this story really talks to us about what the happy slave mentality is. Mm. When you're pushed into a situation where you literally can't, you feel so helpless, you can't get out of it. You choose to make yourself happy because that's better than being miserable. And clearly being powerless is better than being dead. So the formal definition I'd like to propose to us here is a person in a position of submission who, while understanding his or her powerlessness, finds happiness in it. So we can understand that we're powerless to the needs of having to have a house or a car. But instead of actually considering, hmm, maybe I could do something about this, we just choose to be happy with the set of instructions, with the manual, with the regulations and rules that we've been given, because it's easier to do that than to buck the trend. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, in these instances, people will actually fight to maintain the establishment that enslaves them because that is more comfortable to stay enslaved is more comfortable than to be crushed by the weight of independence. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that speaks pretty loudly as to what's happening right now. You know, like I, uh, I have friends who, um, have like, like even, even my mom in, in some respects, hi mom. Um, <laughs> you know, you talk to her about the, how evil, uh, the pharmaceutical industry is on one hand and like how much they've corrupted doctors and how much control they have and, and how many billions of dollars they're making and all this sort of stuff. And then on the other hand, it's like totally buying the line that these corporate, these pharmaceutical companies are, are like feeding the government and the doctors and all of the people and like not even just buying it, but fighting for it. And so I've seen friends who have like viscerally hated the pharmaceutical companies for like decades and are now literally word for word repeating what their mouthpieces are saying. Mm -hmm. Well, and it becomes so much more powerful when you implement something like fear, mm. right? If we were to just like, let's just take a workplace example of how, because we started off with workplace. So let's just keep it micro and keep it on workplace for now and then we can expand it socially. Mm -hmm. If we just look at the workplace, you have examples of how you felt trapped because you had all of these things. For mm. most people, they're trapped by their debt. Right. If you if you leave your job, 
you don't have somewhere to live. You and your kids don't have somewhere to live, right? Then you're potentially renting, you're paying more money. Even then, maybe you can't even get a place to rent because your credit is shot. So it really creates this dependency on a job. And now when we get into the high performers, like I personally was subject to this, where I had a job that incidentally at the time I thought I loved, where I was absolutely ab- abused by my um, by my boss. Mm. And, you know, they were employing things like, oh, you'll get stock options uh, that we were supposed to get on day one that all of a sudden didn't get rolled out until five years later. Or things like, oh, you'll get your bonus, but it only gets paid out once a year. So you have to stay an entire year. So they have all of these other things that are in place in the company themselves that force you to stay at that company, which means that we are very used to as a society staying in situations that are uncomfortable because they make us feel safe. Oh, yeah, that resonates. Yeah, I I mean, like the, the large corporations I've worked for in the past all had tactics like that, like stock options, share ownership plans. Um, and even like the, I worked at one that had a union and the union was so good at its job that like the wages were like really, really, really good. And so, I mean, I, I even remember like trying to conceive leaving and everyone's like why would you leave a union job you know it's so good you've got a pension you've got all these things and again i just started looking at all these things as like golden handcuffs Mm -hmm. you know i was like and and the people who were like why would you leave that job were also recognizing that it's golden handcuffs and i'm like man i'm at the time i think i was like 30 you know i'm like i'm 30 and I've got another 30, 35 years or more of working in me. I can't even imagine, like I'd have to totally give up on life yeah. to stay in that position and just accept like the really negative aspects of it. Yeah. And what's interesting, there's you're seeing even like other people were saying, why would you leave? So it's not even just necessarily like, you know, government, let's say if we want to make them the bad guys or like the owners of these large corporations, like these things are in place that they're meant to be reward systems. Right. But even societally, like your friends are like, why would you leave that? Because it is so common for us to subject our own personal desires and our own freedoms to be able to get the carrot that we are promised from the government or the larger organizations. We've gotten so used to outsourcing our safety that we've allowed people to subjugate our own desires and our own personal growth. Like if you're not happy in a company, fucking leave. Mm -hmm. If you're not happy in a house, fucking leave. Why would you stay just because everyone else is like, oh, but it's so nice, blah, 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 blah. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. It reminds me of this game Portal. Um, you, you probably haven't played it, but I haven't in, played any games in, in, in it. You, um, you basically are jumping through all these hoops and doing all these tests for this, like corporation that's run by an AI and, and it's always like, you'll get cake at the end. I like cake. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone likes cake. And then as you get closer to the end of the game, you start seeing like all of the shiny laboratory, like 
simulations, like you start to see behind the veil, like stuff starts to break down and you start to see the two two-way glass that you're being observed and you get into the, the, the bowels of the system and you start to see like, like, um, spray painted messages like the cake is a lie mm. <laughs> wow yeah. can we please name this episode the cake is a lie oh yeah we're totally naming this episode the cake is a lie <laughs> that's great i love it <laughs> yeah and all you gamers out there are gonna yeah appreciate the reference i'm sure yeah and then the people that aren't gamers like me are gonna be like what is this episode about or they're gonna go play the game yeah because it's actually a really awesome game called portal can we play it together when we get a game again you'll love it yeah it sounds yeah, like it. it it's actually it has a cooperative mode and your brain specifically that little supercomputer that you have is going to really love the intricacies of like planning out how you do portals to like go across the simulation and like how you want to have things fall out of the ceiling by throwing them through one wall and yeah it's Oh, it sounds fun. Yeah. I'm excited. Let's go. Like, can we end this episode right now and go play a video game, please? We have to go buy one first. Oh, right. I guess we have to get a TV and a PlayStation and the game. Yeah, that sounds like but, a lot of things. But hey, it's my birthday soon. <gasps> Actually, by the time people are listening to this, it will be well after your birthday. Oh. Yeah, because okay. if you recall, the podcast is being released as our birthday gift to the world. Oh, so yeah. the very first episode goes out just after your birthday. And this is like episode five. Okay, let's end this rabbit hole. Okay. And come back to Am the I the one that's rabbit holing this time? No, I think it was kind of like a double rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair my, enough. Yeah. Okay, so let's come back. So, you know, in the, let's come back to the workplace for a minute here. So in regular society, let's say pre-pandemic, this was already a really, really noticeable issue in like all, let's say Western societies. This concept of the golden handcuffs, this concept of, okay, you have to, in order to be of value or even survive, you have to be in debt, basically, for like 90% of the population, that's true. Being in debt means you're enslaved, quote unquote, to your job. And so even if you don't like your job, there's this general consensus societally that it's okay to basically be abused by your employer just because that way you get a salary and maybe you'll get a better job in the future, but probably you won't because if you're used to being abused, you will probably always attract bosses that abuse you because that's how human nature works. So on this level, the solution to that is multiple streams of income, right? If we were to look at from a corporate perspective, multiple streams of income mean that you're not indentured to any one place. So if you've got your, um, you know, your salaried job, and then maybe you have some kind of passive income on the side, maybe you're investing really heavily, so you've got income coming in that way, but it gives you a little cushion so you're not deeply tied and stuck to the job that doesn't make you happy. You could even be an entrepreneur and running your own business maybe at one point. But where I wanna go with this is like, if that's the solution for the corporate manifestation of the golden handcuffs, we started off this discussion talking about the societal implication of the golden handcuffs. So how does, what does that look like and how do we move past that? What are our solutions there? Hmm, the societal implication. Well, I, you know, like it's interesting because we are in an interesting time right now. It's the end of October, mm -hmm. uh, 2021. And I just read some articles about something that people are just discovering is happening right now called the Great Resignation. Oh, interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, so um, August was marked the beginning of the highest numbers of people resigning from their jobs 
in as long as we have history. Wow. In one month. And then September also increased on that. So we're actually, and we're not seeing these people necessarily coming back into the workforce mm. and getting jobs. We're seeing them becoming digital nomads. We're seeing them starting their own thing. We're, we're seeing them go into different industries. It's almost like they're diversi diversifying income for themselves and pulling the income out of the standard operating system of society. Mm -hmm. And they're what what they're actually using. What it appears is that, like through the whole fear of the pandemic and all of this stuff, like people have gotten really afraid and are um, being like really locked into a certain way of thinking. However, it appears that some people have taken advantage and gone, "Hey, I'm getting this like regular stimulus check or whatever it is that people are getting." Um, this is a great time to actually pursue my dreams. This okay. is a great time to like, okay, check out of the day job and actually work on the passion thing that I've been waiting years and years and years to do, but has never come around because I'm too busy, too tired, too stressed, not enough money. Mm -hmm. Too trapped by your golden handcuffs to actually do the thing that lights you up. So it's almost like inadvertently the government has created like that which it's feared the most. Mm -hmm. Oh, isn't that what we do? Isn't that always what we do? The government is just a reflection of our human psyche and humans as a whole have a tendency to literally create the exact environment in which they are most fearful. Yeah, so the, go so the government's trying to control the pandemic. They're trying to control the people and the response and trying not to have panic. You know, like all arguably good things, like, we don't want panic. We don't want chaos. Like we don't want those things. Yep. And so the government trying to do this stuff is a good thing. The way that it's been gone about is, uh, you know, you can, cri you can criticize that all day long, but that's not the point of this. The road to hell is paved <laughs> with good intentions. Let's just leave it right there. Um, so, But the response, good or, or bad, has seemingly created this environment where people are like, yes, a lot of people are scared. And then there's other people who are looking at this as an opportunity, mm -hmm. an opportunity to free themselves. Yeah, they're, they're going beyond what we started this conversation with, which is that slave mentality, where it's basically you're seeing two types of people kind of like percolate to the surface, right? You've got the people that are still in that slave mentality that are so indoctrinated into it that they're literally fighting to maintain the systems that are oppressing them, to maintain the forcing of having just one job and having to punch in and punch out and having to carry a piece of paper that says whether you're worthy to enter a restaurant or not. Like those systems of oppression, let's just call them what they are, they're systems of oppression. They're fighting for them because to them, it's easier to stay in that system. It's more comfortable to stay in that system than to deal with the weight of having and the weight and the responsibility of independence. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the I just want things to go back to normal phrase. They're never going back to normal. Yeah, but this is this is like, well, I mean, this is how authoritarianism rises, right? Is mm -hmm. is the population believes that if we just keep our heads down and we don't stir up trouble and we just kind of like put power through it, that everything will go back to normal eventually. Mm -hmm. And history has shown, not even fiction books, I know we talked about fiction at the beginning, but history has shown time and time and time and time and time again that there is no going back to normal. 
The cake is a lie. You're never going to go back to normal life. And the more you perceive that that's possible, the more you become part of the reason it's not. Yeah. And the less friction there is to um, overreaching authoritarian-like policies and controls and systems, the less friction there is, the more it emboldens those who would want to take more control. Mm -hmm. And it's actually pretty stark um, contrast between like, for example, Canada and the United States who are neighbors, right? Like Canada is completely, totally under like media and um, where you can go and when you can go and all of this sort of stuff control, yeah. media and person control. Whereas the US, like people are A, leaving their jobs if they're being mandated to do things they don't wanna do, but they're also like, there's protests. There's like, I heard that like uh, all of the engineers at NASA just decided not to come into work mm -hmm. because um, they didn't agree with the policies that were being implemented. Well, on Southwest South Airlines, yeah, yeah, yeah they got Southwest grounded. Airlines was grounded for a uh, couple of days. 1,200 flights, I think, got missed. Apparently, yeah. according to weather. <laughs> but you look at like all of the other airlines and they're like green, good to go, no, no, no problems. problems. It's like, oh yeah, is that weather? Is that is that really weather? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that weather like unilaterally only affected one airline out of the like five that fly out of the same airport and they just picked these planes to bother yeah yeah but we so, don't see that in the media though and isn't that interesting well that and that's that's kind of the problem right is like i am personally aware of protests and things that are happening in the united states and i'm like wow great you know people are saying i don't want to be a happy slave mm -hmm. right people are are pushing up against the power uh, but then you, you're like, well, where's the coverage for this stuff? Right. Yeah, it's not getting covered. And we're seeing protests, you know, everywhere, even here in Costa Rica, they are actively protesting. There's another protest this weekend. They're shutting down highways. They're, they're moving across. And at, like, at least here, we're seeing it in the news. But in Canada, if there's protests happening, it's not hitting in the international news at all. It doesn't hit the international news. It doesn't get on social media because it gets mm -hmm. like, it gets censored right away. Same thing with where, um, Denmark, Germany, Australia. So they're, one of the keys of the happy slave is that you feel that you're powerless, right? And if you start seeing other people standing in their power, if you start seeing other countries protesting successfully, mm -hmm. Italy, Israel, Germany, Denmark, Australia, you know, if you start seeing that, then what happens? Maybe some of you get a little bit of power back. So heaven forbid, we should show that so many countries are protesting. It is way easier to stay stuck in that slave mentality when you think you're the only one that's uncomfortable. When you think you're the only one that's powerless, right? Like everybody's like this. Everybody's powerless. We all just got to tough through it together. But it's like, no, all the other countries are having these uprisings. Oh. But they're not letting you see that because that maintains the powerlessness feeling of the happy slave. Right. And so in the information age where you could literally see what's going on on the other side of the planet, as opposed to like previous ages where there was slavery, where all you could see was what was right in front of you. Yeah. 
right? All you knew was what you were told. It was really easy to cultivate that slave mindset, yeah. that mentality of just being happy with what is because anything else is scary and, oh yeah, it's dangerous out there. You wouldn't want to go out anyways. Like to the point where you don't even need chains anymore. Mm -hmm. And I mean, isn't that what they're doing in Canada right now? Well, yeah, I think they're doing there a lot of places. Like we talked about like the Commonwealth yeah. in a previous episode. It does seem to be the countries that are more modern, westernized, and thereby have a greater sense of control over the information that people consume. Yeah, and I think that comes from, too, if we look at a correlation, we're more indebted to our government, right? Mm. Because we're so developed, we're used to our government providing for us. We're used to our government taking care of things like healthcare. We're used to our government like being able to trust our government and believing that our government is actually benevolent. So it's a lot harder for us to consider that maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Whereas we see these more developing countries that aren't used to getting handouts from the government as part of survival, that aren't used to survival being like, you know, owning an outrageous cost house or a car that literally puts you indebted to the system for the rest of your 35 years, the rest of your life literally is how long the average mortgage is. <laughs> So you're completely indebted to the system. You couldn't do anything about it even if you wanted to. But when you have countries like Costa Rica, countries like Mexico, where people are able to live in a tent quite happily, you don't have that same kind of pressure from the government. So there's a lot more ability to be yeah. flexible. Yeah. And as a result of that, the people seem to have more power. Oh, they totally do here. They're way more empowered here than I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, Costa Rica is a little bit of a uh anomaly because they don't have a standing army yeah so they don't they don't have like as a policy they don't have that enormous amount of power that they can leverage over the people yeah you're not going to see martial law getting enforced here as an example like they have cops that are going out and making sure that you follow your I like the rules. cops here yeah but they're not yeah. assholes and they're certainly not SWAT teams that are like running out when they <laughs> like in Mexico <laughs> well in Mexico but also in Canada in, Canada, in Australia. Australia oh yeah the stuff we've been seeing in Australia is crazy man yeah peaceful like, protests that are getting completely and totally annihilated with yeah, rubber tear bullets gas, tear rubber gas bullets, yeah they don't have the ability to do that here so the people have even more power because there's no fear in going to a protest. And if we go back even to the very, let's even go back pre-pandemic for a second here. Um, you know, at the start of our relationship was when the the um, BLM movement was really big. That's right. And do you remember us getting invited to a protest? Mm -hmm. And we actually chose not to go because why? Um, I'm testing your memory. Yeah, I, I remember it happening and... There was some disinformation that was going around, I think, about there, there being violence at these protests. The police were spreading rumors over Twitter that it was unsafe to be downtown because of angry mobs and protests. And so we opted not to go because we didn't want to get caught up in that. Well, because we're planning to leave the country right away, right? Exactly. So A, like why get involved in a protest? And B, I don't want my passport to get taken away. Again, that's that That's that control, right? This is what I'm pointing to, exactly. So yeah. we were even subject to it where we didn't like, I mean, the BLM movement was something that I felt very strongly about. And I had to make a really hard choice between supporting something that I felt very, very aligned with and protecting my own personal power. Mm -hmm. And so I chose protecting my own personal power, which was actually staying quiet and staying small inside my house and not 
not going and being the activist that I would have liked to have been because I was concerned about the repercussions. And that, so this isn't just pandemic. Like the government has been creating this system for years and years and years and years, and it's just completely snowballed. Wow. Yeah, I got to chew on that a little bit. Like, it kind of, like, the only reason they're able to do this right now, I mean, obviously, they're building off of, like, archaic systems that have been around for a long time, like the idea of a job, the idea of security, the idea of home, like, all of these things. But, like, it's so stark a shift in the last couple of years in their ability to curate the consciousness and beliefs of people. Mm. Um, and we, again, like going back to that Cambridge Analytica thing, right? Like we now have the technology to move the group yeah. consciousness, right? We now have the technology to like break everyone apart into 32 different psychographic profiles not ne never mind all the demographics that we already have like for you know like extracting financial wealth from people we now have psychographics based off of what you click like on what you click hard on what like what you share what you don't share what you comment on what you use angry words against like what you use cap like every single action people have been taking on social media has now been used to develop uh, a list of human archetypes mm -hmm. by AI. So people don't even really, like you don't even really need a name for all these archetypes because AI is just like, here's a group of people, here's a group of people, here's a group of people, they behave like this. So if you use these words against them, it'll push them in this direction. Or if you use these words for them, it'll push them in this direction, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't, like, it, it's kind of funny because we're watching, um, yeah, what what's the, the the foundation? The foundation. Yeah, we're watching a show called The Foundation right now and it's all about this guy who's figured out mathematics that can predict the actions of large groups over a period of time. You can't predict the in actions of individuals cuz that that's chaotic and that's free will. That's free will, but he can predict the actions of large groups over time and I'm kind of like didn't we just invent that technology a few years ago? Mm -hmm. We sure did. And not just predict the actions, but actually manipulate, manipulate the actions mm -hmm. of large groups of people. And, and it was proven, like, like the U.S. election with Trump, I'm not for or against him at this point. I, I can honestly say I don't know enough to be for or against him. Mm -hmm. And I've seen all of the media and it's so polarized i don't even want to get into that no. that topic but i do know that he was elected as a result of this technology and i do know that brexit was pushed through as a result of this technology mm -hmm. and i have to think somebody's playing a game mm -hmm. like a really really big worldwide game at this point mm -hmm. because once the public caught wind that they had been manipulated and this technology had been used against them, like all the whistleblowers and everything that happened and all those documentaries, um, the company like disappeared. Hmm, the company, seemingly. The company, which was like, it had 
been created basically from technology that GCHQ used, which is British intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, they used this technology, but they were only allowed to use it on foreign nations for the purpose of like manipulation of their population against a quote bad government. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got put into the hands of this company and the company ran this test and then the company disappeared and the technology also disappeared. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, and then not even a couple of years later, here we are in a situation where that kind of technology would be very likely the culprit mm. behind what's happening. And so let's just talk about what can we do, right? Mm. What can we do about this? So we can now recognize, okay, we've got this happy slave mentality, this like golden ha handcuffs mentality. We can see how that existed in the 19th century. We can now see how that existed pre-pandemic in um, the way that we related to our jobs and to our social structures. And now we're seeing how this exact same mentality is being used to create states of oppression, helplessness, fearless, um, fear, net, fear states, <laughs> what's the word, fear states in the regular population. And we can see very clearly how mass media control is making it easier than ever to hold these handcuffs, to be in that happy slave situation. So, mm -hmm. you know, we talked about how in corporate, the solution to corporate to this issue in corporate is to just have multiple streams of income. So you're not indefinitely tied to any one space. What would you say is the solution to this level of control from a societal perspective? Uh, well, I, I definitely think you kind of hit the nail on the head there where you were talking about like the control of the information, right? You, you kind of need to actively seek out information from sources that are not subject to the controls mm -hmm. that are keeping you where you are, mm -hmm. right? And as soon as you do that, and I, I don't even need to like recommend anything, like you'll find it on your own, right? As yeah. soon as you step outside of the this feed is being pushed to me and I'm consuming it. Like you remember serialized television, mm -hmm. right? Like people used to like turn on the babble box and like information would be pushed into them. Mm -hmm. Like whenever you're just blindly receiving information, you're being programmed. Which by the way, when you're watching TV, you're in a trance state. Yeah. Yeah, or or scrolling Facebook, for yeah, example. Yeah, doom scrolling Facebook. Or is it Meta? It's doom, meta now. Doom scrolling <laughs> Meta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you'll be you'll literally be in a trance state. That's a highly programmable state. Yeah. So like people used to have all these new like in the early days of the internet before your time, um, people would have all these different news sites that you would go and gather information from and and you had like aggregation systems that you programmed you're like oh i i like this feed so i'm going to bring it into my aggregator i like this feed i'll bring it into my aggregator like those almost don't exist anymore is that an rss feed is yeah that what that was? yeah okay. you, you do rss feeds okay right? i feel like i know this technology so would, but haven't used it myself. you would find blogs that you like and you'd find all these different things and you'd aggregate them and then you create and curate your own feed of information based on your likes mm -hmm. 
But now with AI and like the algorithm and Facebook and all of the stuff like it's doing it for you, it's doing it for you. And so people have kind of gotten lazy and stepped back into that just receiving mode again, mm. where they're just receiving just like television. So they've been seduced into, oh, television's bad. They know television's bad, right? But now they've been seduced into this other thing that's exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And arguably actually more potent, more powerful because it's highly targeted, whereas TV isn't. Well, and TV you get, is just a broadcast. And you get to engage with it. So you get to like, you get to literally engage with the other, the mm -hmm. enemy, the person who disagrees with you, mm -hmm. right? You get to yell at them. Mm -hmm. You know, you never got to do that with terrorists. So <laughs> terrorists were always yeah, like, like the TV, but yeah, not quite the same thing. Yeah, terrorists were always on the other side of the world, right? It was like this this threat, and you'd yell at the TV, and you'd never get the the response. But now the terrorist is your next door neighbor, right? The one who disagrees with your stance on whatever it is, <laughs> you know, and and now you get to yell at them online, and that's just division. And I think you really hit the nail on the head about it becoming like more about your neighbor. So you can see here where we've got this whole slave mentality. We've got these handcuffs going on. And, you know, the the antidote is definitely extra income streams, because in most cases, if you've been mandated to take a vaccine, then your income stream is uh, is at uh, is at risk. But it sounds to me like what you're saying is the very first thing to do is start to question your existing reality. Start to question the info streams that are coming in. You know what, guys? Go do us a favor. Go watch your favorite dystopian future movie with a new set of glasses on, with an idea of like, what if this wasn't fiction? Mm -hmm. Just give it a watch and then, you know, give us a screenshot and tell us on social media, what did you think of that? What was that exercise like for you? Did it actually maybe spark some curiosity in you? Because here, we're not here to give you the answers. We're here to have an open debate and then spark your own personal inquiry into what is most in alignment for you and is the life you're leading right now truly in alignment or like the example with the BLM movement that I used earlier or the corporate examples that Sina and I used at the beginning of this episode, are you simply making decisions based on what you think you have to do based on an outside set of parameters? So are you just making decisions because you're trying to be in survival mode and you're not actually aligning with your own values? Or could you be more aligned with your own values? What That's the question there. And I'd like mm. to leave with like one final, one of, one of my final statements from a quote unquote hero of mine is just remember who the real enemy is. Hmm. Who is that? Well, it's not for me to say. It's for you, each individual listener to discover for themselves. Hmm. I mean, who said that? Katniss Everdeen. Actually, I don't think it was. I can't remember the name of the character, but it's from Hunger Games. Okay. I can't remember the name of the character. Okay. Somebody said that to Katniss. Somebody said that to Katniss. Remember Katniss. who the real enemy is. Katniss. Why are you fighting amongst yourselves? Yeah. She was about to shoot him with her arrow. And then instead of shooting him, she ended up shooting the dome that was controlled by the government. Interesting. Yeah. Because they had pitted all of the players against themselves. Fiction? To be determined. We are so grateful that you decided to hit play on today's episode. If anything in this episode has inspired you or helped you transform your life, make sure to let others know by sharing a review on Spotify or iTunes so we can keep our community growing. 
We absolutely adore giving away free gifts. Send us a screenshot of your review to team at theprism.org to receive a special meditation from us as a gift of gratitude. We absolutely cannot wait to connect with you in the next episode. Between now and then, don't forget to visit our website at theprism.org. And remember, the goal is always in you.